0: Listener. Production. Cheers. Market. The S&P. The ISX Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money.
1: Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast where the only inflation is our egos and not our prices. I'm Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. He is Andrew Page from strawman.com. Mr. Page, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm exceptionally well. I say you're from strawman.com. I shouldn't say that. I should say you are the managing director. You are the founder. You are the majority shareholder. You are the man who makes the music. You are the man who is the wind beneath your members' wings. Um, I Just wonder what straw man
0: is again. I love how you make such a tiny one-man operation <laughs> sound, sound so much more significant than what it is. If I had less care, and what it- if- go on. Oh,
1: and what it is is an online private investment club. I am surprised. If I had less respect mm-hmm. for our listeners, mate, I would sing Bette Midler with my wings, but I'm not going to because uh, I care about you and I care about our listeners, and that's important. We, we appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> mate, um,. I'd ask how you are. I have, but uh, you and I have spoken about eighty-four times this week as we get through some pre-recorded podcasts <laughs> for the upcoming uh, holiday. I'm going to take you just added me pre-recording. I will take a holiday one day. You need to do that, by the way. So uh, yeah, I do. Well, I really make, do. Make sure, you, make sure you do that all work and no play makes Andrew a dull boy and all that kind of stuff. Although <laughs> uh, I leave that to others to judge, mate. Um, let's let's, let's get into it because you know the the how are you thing's probably done by now. Did you see this week? I assume you did. The Australian Bureau of Statistics announcement that inflation in Australia is now back up to 6.8% for the month of April. It was 6.4% in March, having been 6.8% in February. So we're
0: back to the future. Inflation's going the wrong way, mate. It is. It it and it's it's sort of it was interesting you can this is the great thing about economic data, you can kind <laughs> of carve it up to suit whatever narrative, whatever barrow you want to push. Yeah. I saw Alan Cole on the news last night make the point that if you just take the month to month and then annualize, mm. it's actually 3.6 or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, glass half full, glass yeah, half every empty. Yeah, start, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, either way, look, here's the thing with inflation. I know mm-hmm. I've made the point before, but mm. it's a ratchet. So whenever we're talking about it, it That's kind of frustrates ratchet, me a bit. Not rat something else, but ratchet. Yeah, yes, yeah, <laughs> well, a, a bit of that,
1: a bit from column A, bit, bit from
0: column B. But it is, a, it is a ratchet. So some of the language I think can be confusing because mm. it says, "Oh, it's coming down." No, it's the rate of growth that is coming down. Yes, we, we are, too. we are never going to see. I can't imagine no. for a long, long time a negative CPI kind of print. And if we do, then that will probably signal all kinds of other problems uh, on its own. I so, think
1: slightly negative after a couple of years of 7% plus is, you know, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. it's, it's a tiny, 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 tiny move
0: in the, in the other direction. Oh man. It's just, you know, I had a hundred dollars of purchasing power last year. I've got $93 today. Um, it's, it's a, it's a big change and it means that people getting a 7% return is not, not bad in the current environment is basically breaking even. Um, and more, more directly, you know, mm. people's pay has gone down. So it's 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 a really it's a you, you know why it's talked about all the time. It's yeah. very real. It, it hits all of us, and and as we've discussed, it's a really thorny problem. Yeah, I um so
1: Alan Cole's comment was interesting actually. I I, I caught the, caught the same thing. The only other thing I was interesting in the numbers, and this is why, as you say, you talk about the the, the basket of goods and the, and the ratchet itself as well. Um, there are some really, really, really staggering numbers in some of this stuff. So, yeah. for example, clothing year on year up two percent, dairy up fourteen and a half percent, fruit mm. and veg up three and a half, but bread up eleven percent, uh, rents up six point one, but uh, what is the one? Uh, communications up zero point two. It, I mean, it, it's it's across the board. I mean, everything, almost everything is up and up significantly. But it is a really different experience depending on the category we're talking about what was also Mm. interesting mate is from this data even putting aside the annualizing the month which you can and maybe arguably should do when you look at the actual numbers almost every single category was down you know the annual the year to march and then the year to april so not just the month itself but the rolling 12 month period it was down in every category with the exception of two the big one was transport now automotive fuel in the last read was minus 8.2 percent year on year up to plus 9.5% year on year. And it's also worth thinking when you think about, you know, what are we mm. reporting as inflation and what numbers are real and what are volatile and what's whatever. The one price that does move around a lot, it, it ratchets higher over time, but is is genuinely volatile and, and reasonably, if not cyclical, at least just all over the giant, is is fuel. Now, that, mm. that 17.7 point turnaround it was enough. So that fuel was up. The other one was, I'm just trying to scroll through, recreation, which is up very slightly from 6.1 to 6.4. They're the only two categories that are actually up between mm. the two reads. And yet that was enough together, transport specifically, obviously, to push the reported CPI up by half a percent. It's just yeah. worth kind of thinking through that. So, you know, if, if you're, the I raise that for a couple of reasons, if you're the RBA and you want to keep rates on hold, you're going to say, well, inflation is actually coming down on everything except that one global commodity where, it's just going to be volatile. So, can you, can you really draw a line through it? Probably not. On the other hand, the numbers—you know—our monthly costs are higher now than they were last year so, or last month. So, so that's just true, and, and it means there is more inflation in the economy. And unfortunately, the other thing is transport. Obviously, fuel is—you uh, uh, know—it's a unless you're, unless you're running an, an EV um, to deliver your goods, and unless you're not using plastics or unless whatever else, you know, the cost of oil is the cost of oil is the cost of oil. It is so ubiquitous that it's also hard to look at that and go. Well, that's going to hit other prices some point down the track when they get factored into, you know, uh, higher delivery costs or higher, you
0: know, transport costs, wherever else they are. Manufacturing—it's uh, so it's everything, right, right. man. Fuel, fuel is the base layer mm-hmm. of our entire economy, right? Like, yeah. it, it, it is really when you really think about it, it might be more distant connections for some items and services than others, but it's it's always a, a, an input to that. So, yeah, yeah it, it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and it also makes you wonder too what the uh, what the RBA can do for something that is very n- non discretionary. I think fuel is you know we need to get from A to B. We need to do all of these kinds of things. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's yeah, correct. And it's, it's interesting you make it's such a good point you make. I mean, there's this number that we look at, mm. and you know maybe you want to look at the trim mean, maybe you want the weighted median, maybe you want something else to sort of strip out and look yeah. at it. You know, it, <laughs> yeah, that's right. It, and then, and then yeah. within that, you've got the fact that, well, someone has – or a group of people have got round and said, we think the average consumer looks like this. Yes, exactly. Right? And, and so that, that view yeah. – The basket. That yeah. view changes. So when you say it's a different experience depending on that, I mean, there'll be – you know, alcohol and tobacco was up four point four percent year over year. That's going to impact some people a lot more than others. Yeah. Uh, uh, education is going to impact some people a lot more than others. So, you're every every one of us, everyone listening, you and I, we all have our own CPI, Correct. Um, and and that's just another another thing worth noting. I don't know the point is to sort of say dismiss it all. I'm not saying that. You've mm, got to have mm, some mm. kind of, I suppose, official figure so we've got a general sense of it. But it is it is a very um, uh, uh, subjective thing inherently in how we choose to measure it and how we choose to measure it has changed over time as well
1: with the best of intentions
0: by the way no no one's no one's being nefarious or you
1: know it's genuinely just a statistician's best guess but as you say even their best guess on the average doesn't represent everybody the other thing that's been really painful to to your point mate is uh, i don't think it's in this number it's in the um quarterly numbers in the quarterly, so this is the monthly CPI, by the way. It's a relatively new measure. I think I've said that before, but just so people know, um, the quarterly number is still the, the the Bible, the the Holy Grail of inflation. Um, they actually split out discretionary and non discretionary spending, and this is we talked about the the impact of inflation. i got a little bit of grief from my comments last week, by the way, about um, the the uh, r- role of, of interest rates and and where and unfortunately hits people and what we can and can't do and what matters, um, which is fine. Different views are very welcome. Um, but what what is ugly? Speaking of that, though, is the inflation on non-discretionary, i.e., the things we can't avoid, is higher and meaningfully higher than the inflation on discretionary items. So you and I can mm. decide not to go on a holiday. We can decide not to buy new clothes. We can decide to not buy a computer or you know whatever else. The non-discretionary stuff: food, energy, fuel, the stuff you can't avoid. The inflation on that has been higher, higher, meaningfully higher for a longer time. Because of that, I mean, energy and transport. Right? Think about yeah. gas, coal. Petrol, you know, th- these are oil. These are these are unavoidable, impo, impost, impo- and they are the, the probably the largest, most persistently um, high inflation categories. And so that's yeah. that's been really hard for a whole lot of people too. Is you're cutting back on spending, you know, uh, just it just you can't do as much with those items as you can with others. and That's that's really painful. Um, I also yeah. also too, mate, on fuel just quickly too, and this is important. Not getting too far into the weeds. Um, if you look at the average price of diesel, for example, just to pick a number because I just happen to hover over that one, April 2022, $1.95 a litre, April 2023, $1.94 a litre. In other words, the price of diesel is as cheap, slightly cheaper, but only you know, as cheapish as it was 12 months ago. Now, I say that at the same time as I tell you, hang on, didn't we just say that inflation for transport was 9.5%? How, how do you square those? The answer, by the way, isn't unleaded fuel because that's also the same. I just, I just picked diesel because I can do it on the graph. Um, the answer is actually because over the year up to April 2023, mm. compared to the year to April 2022, which is what they're comparing, the price is meaningfully higher. So even though it's flat, and actually over the last six months it's come down dramatically. Uh, so you know again, diesel six months ago, $2.32 a litre down to $1.94. So down a lot. Mm. But versus mm. the previous year, it's still meaningfully higher. Now, the yeah. good news there is, unless it spikes back up again, we will, over time, slowly see that number just come down of its own volition. Because the longer it doesn't move, the, you you drop the, the cheap months of last year, you pick up the no more expensive months of this year, and that percentage will come down by itself. And again, that's why inflation is also important. You made the point about Kola's comment, which is exactly right. The annualized number of just the last month suggests that prices are again we shouldn't say coming down you would be really careful it's, it's a clumsy way to mm. say it but you have to say it this way because it's accurate prices are mm. going up much much less quickly yep. over the last month than they have been over the last year so we potentially are on the tail end of it if we are yep. that also gives the RBA room not to do anything
0: is that why to your opinion um, the Aussie dollar like it fell to another low overnight yeah. as well I think it got to, into the 64s at one, cent. Was, mm. oh, oh, at one stage we were only mentioning maybe this is a pre-record but <laughs> in, in our timeline, it was yep. relatively uh, uh, recently. Correct. Just, just how low that that is, yeah. that is sort of gone. Yep. Is that a reflection of that view? That okay, yeah, mm. it's much higher than a year ago, but month on month, it's coming down. If, as you say, often say, the biggest little word in the English <laughs> language, that yeah. that maintains the same, we will we will sort of ride out of this. Therefore, mm. less likely, more interest rate rises. Therefore. Uh, less competitive dollar for a carry trade perspective.
1: Yeah, you, you would assume so. I just actually, um, I'm a, I don't do a whole lot of pre-research. I, just for fun, mate, I actually overlaid uh, the iron ore price in US dollars and the Australian dollar in versus the US dollar. And the, the correlation of that is astonishingly good. Right. Uh, which, is, which is partly I'm, I'm, giving away Makes the, sense. I'm giving away the why to the answer I was going to give you which is in part the fall is absolutely the market's not expecting a big rate rise from the RBA the RBA's mm-hmm. kind of flagged as much and to the extent they keep doing that then uh, you know this inflation might be enough to scare them as I said there's reasons if they look at it and say headlines up we need to do more fair enough mm-hmm. if they say headlines up but excluding fuel it's down fair enough mm-hmm. if they say I heard Alan Cole on the ABC the other day say that mm-hmm. annualised is pretty low then okay too. They, they, there is more, to your point, they can chop this in million ways. There is more than enough data to give them a reason to do either. If you mm-hmm. want to put rates up, you say inflation is going up, it's still almost 7%. That is extraordinarily big. We need to do more. That, that, that in itself is enough of a reason to cut rates if you chose, sort of raise rates if you chose to. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want to hold rates, you say inflation is coming down, it's going to keep coming down, the economy is slowing, retail sales are slowing, let's not kill the goose like the golden egg. Mm-hmm. The, the, trend, you know, the, the trend is working for us. So we're okay, we can just lock it in and, and you know, let it do its thing over the next little while. So mm. that, that's, that's that. But I, I, the reason I wanted to pick up on all, mate, is there is a very significant... And this is the thing with, with any asset. You know, we, we talk a lot about price following value and what sentiment does. The, the, the value in air quotes of the Australian dollar versus the US dollar is impossible to uh, accurately or, or fundamentally justify and and value there is no there is no model that says of course the Australian dollar must be 65 US cents right now because x Mm -hmm. what we end up saying is and again we've talked before and since and we'll talk again uh, depending on where we are on the timeline about um uh, you know markets and sentiment and and you know all that sort of stuff but also the trend we talk about regularly rather than the absolutes the dollar the Australian dollar tends to be considered by the rest of the world as a so-called commodity currency. It is a, to some degree, again, we've talked about this, I think in a future episode, but anyway, um, it, it is very much a, you know, when the rest of the world says, hey, we think iron ore is going to go up, they buy Australian dollars as a proxy for iron ore because we're an iron ore exporting country. And conversely, when it goes down. So I, I, I just pulled it up just for the sake of it. And the correlation, I hadn't ever done this before. <laughs> I should have probably. The correlation is astonishing. So mm. uh, I, I would, I would suggest to you, mate, that the iron ore price is now as low as it's been in US dollars since November 2022. Before that, it was September 2022, and I've got to expand my chart out further to get back to the same price. Um, It hasn't been consistently this low in the last 10 years. Mm. So only one, two, three, four times the last 10 years has the iron ore price in US dollars been oh sorry i'm telling i'm telling a complete lie i'm sorry matt um that's this strange i have looked at the wrong line there i should have done my research <laughs> um it's so it's still true but it was that low back in uh june 2020 mm-hmm. so we're kind okay. of you know if you look at that last two three years we've kind of gone up miles it got to 220 a ton at one point now it's down about 100 bucks a ton um, it hasn't it was that low again those numbers i told you before were right so november june of 2022 and then june 2020 and then back to kind of April 2019. Uh, and it was this high again in March 2017. I won't keep boring you with the numbers. Essentially, it seems to be there is some correlation. I won't say causation, I won't say direct cause and effect, um, but there is some correlation between that. My, my speculation, mate, would be the market is assuming the RBA won't raise rates mm. uh, and the US is continuing to raise rates, so it widens that gap also because we're a commodity currency the iron ore price is falling it does seem to be tracking with that in in some sort of correlated way which you know isn't surprising based on what we think we've said before about these things so that'd be my best guess mate but I I'm, I'm no currency expert I'm just I'm just people I think that's probably likely to
0: be part of it yeah wheels within wheels yes. isn't it? Yeah. There, there's <laughs> There's, I mean, that's not great news in and of itself. I no, mean, no. iron ore is our biggest export, Correct. right? So those, those, that absolutely hits the you know, balance of trade and, and, and all yep. the rest of yep. it. Good point. Um, I think when, when I think of currencies, I really bring it back to, to first principles because it can get very mm-hmm. complicated and, and unnecessarily so. I think a high level it's really like anything that's traded it's supply and demand correct correct why do you want i mean stop thinking in our little bubble for a second why yeah. does anyone in the but by the way australia is 0.3 percent of the global population yes
1: you take every australian equity markets yeah yeah
0: yes yeah. we are the 12th largest economy 1.5 mm-hmm. trillion in in gdp we punch above our weight but in terms of these little gift certificates that we call australian dollars And and I say that in a very deliberate way because it it's kind of like a gift certificate that you can only spend in store Australia. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. An Australian dollar note you give to ninety nine point seven percent of people in the world they're going to go oh Mm -hmm. I can't spend this anywhere and I have to go get it changed and I have to pay Mm -hmm. a bunch of fees on it. So the where I'm going with this is is that why does why do exchange rates move around? Mm. Well. People will. The dollar will go up when people demand more Australian dollars. Outsiders will demand more Australian dollars. And they will demand or, or people want to convert what they've got um, in other currencies back to Australian dollars. Mm. And they, they will want to do that because they want to spend the yeah. money here or invest yeah. the money here. I mean, otherwise, what's the blooming point? Oh, and when I say invest, it might just be to take advantage of interest rate differentials mm. and, and, yeah. and all of this kind of thing now there's no real predictive power in any of that but i think it gets past a lot of the nonsense that mm-hmm. you rightly say these false precision mod- model every model mm-hmm. is wrong some models are useful. yeah to, that's is right. the way i like to sort of think about it but they're all they're all generally wrong and and the fact that i i can't plug in interest rates inflation commodity mm-hmm. prices and get this is the intrinsic value to use a share term for the for the australian dollar correct, correct. but but generally speaking um, if we're, if we're making lots of great stuff, mm, if mm. we've got a lot of great stuff to offer, uh, you'll want the gift certificates to come to our shop, right? Yeah. <laughs> and get all our stuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and that's what it is. The other thing that's when I, when I say wheels within wheels before as well. So iron ore prices come down, mm-hmm. not good. Mm-hmm. Aussie dollars also come down. Well, not necessarily that bad. That, that's yeah, going to take yeah. a bit of the edge off for iron ore Correct. exporters. Correct. Because iron ore is priced in, yes, exactly. in, in in U.S. dollars. Correct. Correct. <laughs> We're just confusing everyone. I'm confusing myself as I talk no, it's, because it's you Im- realize how tenacious it all is. But yeah. Yeah, it's important. Yeah. Mate. I, it, I, Go on. Yeah. Go. Go. No. No. That, that, I mean, that, that's just the only point I, I wanted mm-hmm. I wanted to make. This sort of like this is this is always a story I find when we talk or whenever I think about <laughs> economics is yeah. oh yeah. th- this oh that means that. Yep. But on the other hand, it means this. Yeah, but that means that. That's true. But on the other hand, it means this. <laughs> <laughs> and where do you end up? It's yeah, hard, hey. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, yes, I think that's right. But one last, one
1: last point I just want to make. You, you talked about the fact that you know uh, we're confusing ourselves, and uh, that you know when oil goes down, but the dollar, the dollar goes down, and the dollars we get doesn't necessarily change. All that kind of stuff. I, just, I want to make the point. Most of our listeners will know this. I think we've, I'm sure we must have said it before. But there <laughs> humans like higher things and bigger things, and we like to beat other things. When we do things, so too many things in that front sentence, but work with me here. Uh, a higher dollar must be good, right? Because it means we buy more US dollars, so that's for well, that's great. So therefore, when it's up, we're happy; when it's down, we're sad. Mm. And it's kind of like, yeah, you need to really think carefully about that because most of us think selfishly of, I want to go to the US, so if the Australian dollars down, I've got to yeah, you know, it's cost me more to go there, and I get I absolutely get that. But plus all the stuff I like to buy that are made overseas, right? You know? Yeah, exactly. So if you're buying imported cars, imported TVs, computers, whatever else. Mm. It's absolutely true. What I wanted to say, though, is the flip side of that is important, which is when the dollar is down, our exports are much cheaper for other nations to purchase. And so if you're a farmer, if you're a miner, if you're a whatever else, uh, and you're exporting around the world, you want a lower dollar. I was kidding. <laughs> Jack, Jack was saying, you want a lower dollar. You need a lower dollar. You need me <laughs> on that wall. Um, yeah, but you, I mean, yeah, it's it's good for us. So you know, in terms mm. of, and by the way, it, economically if and when things start to slow down locally a lower dollar is spectacularly good because it means the rest yeah. of the world is going to buy more of our stuff than they would have otherwise which helps pop, you know, prop up australian you know output when we're not buying it here at home so in a perfect world you take a 40 cent dollar uh, in the middle of a recession because it'll really prime the economy and really get things moving uh, now you couldn't go overseas and <laughs> you probably just stuck at home uh, but that's you know th- there's a real economic benefit to that in terms of sheer amount of things produced and therefore jobs created or maintained all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, when we, we talk about the dollar, just it's always worth remembering higher isn't better, lower isn't better, by the way, necessarily. It depends who you are and what you're doing. Uh, but there is a very real, and by the way, lower dollar imports inflation because it makes those things we buy more expensive. So you still buy one computer, but it now it costs 10% more. Okay, well, let's mm-hmm. just put the price of computers up. The ABS tells not you... Because, not month. because
0: the manufacturer or supplier right. put their prices right. up. Yeah. They,
1: they sold the thing in the same number of yen. We just had to pay more Australian dollars to buy the, to buy the Japanese-made mm-hmm. computer or the you know, yuan for the Chinese-made computer or whatever. Um, and everything else, by the way, around the world, everything from Europe or Asia or anything anywhere else. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just worth, just worth well, making that
0: point. That's the genius of floating the dollar. Oh, so good. Right, let yep. the market decide. Yep. Markets are really good at f- mm-hmm. but we are we are signalling yes. all of our intentions, yes. individuals just through our own action. I need to mm. go here and buy some US dollars. Oh, I want to import this, and we're all just doing stuff for our own yeah. vested interests. But yep. in aggregate, markets find yep. equilibrium points, yep. and they change over time as information and sentiment changes and all the rest of it. So you know, it's not it it, mm. but it is it is it is. It is that lovely shock absorber for the economy Mm, and mm. it it, it's the the very signaling of like the fact that the aussie dollar is low is signaling Mm. something that will and that Mm. will have feedback loops (laughs) which help correct these kinds of things and on we go it's a really 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 good idea to take something out of a centrally controlled environment in which again it's not about intent or anything like that it's or or capability it's it's, well i guess it is about capability because it is Mm. it is just so unrealistic to expect that no matter who the group of experts are that they can anticipate every single individual agent's intentions and 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 sentiment and price that in at the aggregate level to let the market do it it's a it's a it's a really 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 powerful um thing and i think that's why that's why virtually all countries do it these days
1: I agree. I think. By the way, it's we talk about the value of having a reserve currency, and it's absolutely great for a whole lot of reasons. Let's talk about two hundred currencies. Um, But one benefit we have over the Yanks is when the oil price moves, for example, they have no ability to devalue their, or not to devalue. I shouldn't make it sound like it's a a command decision. Their their currency can't devalue in in terms of you know the 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 relative price of oil, the relative price of iron. There's those are already priced in U.S. dollars. They only get the commodity movements we get the commodity mm. movements and the currency movements that go against us as well. But to your point, you know the, the Americans on one, on one hand don't have a floating currency against, for example, a commodity because it's priced in their own currency. Yeah, the, very One, good one point. of the great things mm. about it having, I, I'm, again, you know, the, I'd, rather, I'd probably rather have the reserve currency than not all things being equal for the reasons oh, that yeah. we've talked about. Oh, right? yeah. But, yeah. But economically, we are much, much, much better off Having a, a, a commodity dominated someone else's currency and having our currency be able to move against it as as that buffer again it can go the other way it can be more expensive so it doesn't just work in one direction but
0: it's a really nice little attribute to have. Oh, it, it, it is. I mean, just I can't I can't let that one go. What you said that is there is there is huge advantage in in being the reserve currency. Oh, totally. Not, yeah. not for the reasons that you you say are true. You don't you don't get that sort of um, that currency uh, impact, but. The people who you um, buy the oil off, Mm -hmm. you're paying them in your own money. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Here you go, Saudis. Have some US dollars. Yeah. Oh, okay. What can we do with these? Well, they're gift certificates for America. <laughs> oh, I guess we'll buy American stuff, yeah, exactly. right? Exactly. I guess we'll invest that money back into America. That's the advantage of being the reserve currency. Yeah. Plus, the other great advantage is as well, it's just like, oh, we don't have enough money. It's okay. Press the printer yes, button. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah. You don't have that devaluation so it's, it's, it's,
1: against against the, the reserve currency or against the commodity because you own the reserve currency. So, yep. yeah, exactly. Yep. exactly. Yep. Mate, I want to move on to, to, speaking of uh, inflation and, and reserve banks and other things, Phil Lowe was out this Week and uh, he spoke to a Senate Estimates committee. I wanted to just highlight two things he said because I thought they were really fascinating. Um, the first one is he said, and this is what I I, I really uh, people give central bank governors plural a really hard time, and I think that's both understandable and really unfair because there are some there are there are some reasonable conventions around public servants and what they do and don't say publicly versus what they do and don't say to ministers that i think are reasonable to expect an rba governor the the bluest of blue suits to just kind of um observe right you observe the convention because it's just it's not the done thing not to and and on some level conventions are made to be broken on the other hand conventions are what kind of underpins our parliamentary system to some degree there's most of the most of the stuff happens in parliament's unwritten rules right and so it's kind of I you know, I really don't buy into the Philo should just blow up the treasurer or the government and say they should do this He's not an independent commentator. He's, a, he's an employee of the federal government. His job is to do monetary policy and not wait into everything everything else just because he wants to. We'd ask the education secretary what they think about the health crisis.
0: Um, so yeah, you know, there's there's something there, I think, to that.
1: But but more
0: Can I just add couple- very that is that is true. That is true. But I, I also say that there is um, it would be nice if there was a a convention that such people would speak truth to power. Yes, uh, and we don't say. know what they do, by the way, because we don't know what's done behind closed doors. They may very well
1: do that. They should do that, and they should be allowed to. I think mm-hmm. you're right. The politi- public service has been politicised dramatically over the last... I, the I don't include Governor Lowe in this, but for what it's worth, just to be really, really clear. Um, but the p- department secretaries tend to be political fellow travellers more often than not, if not direct operatives, um, and there is something to that. That's why we see some of them leave when a new government turns up, either voluntarily or uh, or otherwise. Um, mate, so Lo-, Lo said two things hmm. He said to, So I'll get your thoughts on these The first thing is He actually told the truth About inflation In the last federal budget You know, we said at the time If you, if you have a stimulatory budget It must add upward pressure To inflation by definition It doesn't mean that's bad It doesn't mean the, the, the programs You're spending money on Are not worthwhile That's a very different question But there are two simple realities One, does it have you know, Does it cause upward pressure on prices And or Are the programs worthwhile and the answer can be yes to both, no to both, or yes to one and no to the other. And to his credit, Phil Lowe said, yep, the budget was probably a bit expansionary, but we'd already included it in our forecasts. Was like, cool. Mm-hmm. And, and that was, that's, the, that's the thing that Jim Chalmers should have been saying for the last month, but for reasons political and otherwise, chose to pretend that if he yelled loud enough that it wasn't inflationary enough, people might agree with it, and that might go away as a topic. And I think, I think there's, you know, there's there's some really nice honesty from Phil Lowe there. Maybe, because he's coming into his term. <laughs> Maybe not. I again it wasn't outlandish. He didn't go outside any, any realms of, 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 um, uh, of convention, as I said. But just saying that, I think yeah it's, it just, he said what other people have been saying. And it was kind of nice to have someone in power actually acknowledge that without pretending that, you know as the LNP did, they are going to destroy the economy by having a stimulatory budget. Or as the government did, that there was no inflation at all. Don't worry about it. It doesn't really exist. It was, it was obviously mm. both of them were, were ridiculous. And we've lost the nuance of, yeah, probably slightly inflationary, but worth it because we're looking after this group or that group. Okay, cool. That, that, that's mm. an okay outcome. That's an okay choice to make. The other thing he said, mate, I'll get your thought on both, was about inflation. This was really interesting. He said the RBA could have and arguably would have gone further. I'm not quoting him, I'm paraphrasing him. Could have or would have gone further on inflation and frankly gone higher and harder on rates. But they wanted to, and again, this is like almost a quote, preserve the gains in the labor market. In other words, unemployment's at a 45-year low, thanks in no small part to massive government stimulus and record low rates. And for all of the unintended consequences of inflation that we're now dealing with, what he said was when that happened, the RBA said, well, we should fix that, but we don't want to throw a whole lot of people out of work. So we'll fix it less slowly than we otherwise might if our only aim was to fix inflation. I just thought that was a really fascinating disclosure. Again, was it surprising? No. Could we have intuited it? could have maybe assumed or, or guessed or or you know um extrapolated it but i thought it was that, i thought those two things those two bits of truth uh, and honesty were, were really refreshing firstly but also fascinating in terms of the working of the rba and how they're thinking
0: mm. yes uh <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, yes and i i find it, it was such a circus it was such a circus, you know. They, they little gotchas from various politicians for trying to score points and sound oh. good. And and there's there's. Yeah. I just wish there was a more serious conversation. Yeah. yeah. Um. I yeah. I, look, I, I I respect that. I mean, there was also there was also some. Other comments in there that were probably a little bit tone deaf. I think he mm-hmm. was suggesting regarding housing that people just move in with flatmates and stay with <laughs> mum and dad. <laughs> you know, like, you know, yeah. 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 That, that, By the that way, sort of his, like, his that's the solution. Is- that's the best we've come up with. We've got this massive housing problem, yeah. but hey, it won't be a problem if like we just two, put two families in every home.
1: Like, come can, on. Can man. I say though? Did you, again, this is, I've, I blame the media. Did you actually hear the comments he made?
0: Directly? Uh, no, I'll be fair. No, I, yeah. I read. I read that so I, I read a few select comments in. in he's he, and this. This is the problem. Honestly, the problem with picking great central bankers
1: and expecting them to be great communicators is a really big challenge. And Lowe yeah. is not bad. What he what he he, he, abs, he actually absolutely said, effectively. What he, what he, the point he was? I'm going kind of to try and describe the point rather than try and repeat what he said because that's what he, he actually did say. The solution will be more people moving together. What he mm. what he actually was saying in that context was, price mechanisms do their thing and when housing gets more expensive we find other ways to solve it like people moving in with each other and that's you know it's a bit like we could before you know the, the inflation is a solution to inflation to some degree right? it's the solution yeah, to the own yeah. problem because we, we take different actions as a result and his point was at some point given those prices people will find different ways to do it and that will impact prices because there'll be less demand for rentals or house purchases if and when people move in with each other so he's talking about the the impacts of supply and demand he said it horribly badly because exactly he did he didn't exactly say something like people should or will or it would be good if i can't remember the exact phrase but it was basically it was interpreted as low saying and if you read the direct transcript only that quote that's exactly what he said he said you know people should move in with their playmates mm. or whatever the problem was he actually you know he said those specific words but in the broader context if if i if a more i'll I'll give the media a bit of a whack here if a more reasonable non-clickbaity non-headlining media had actually reported exactly what he said he was effectively saying that that high prices mean more people will move in together and that will help bring prices down because there'll be less demand for
0: freestanding homes i call that's part of the that's part of the economic supply demand trade-off right yeah i still call bs um if, if if you and I are forced to become flatmates because, God, flat. and you know, that'd be an odd, odd couple kind of <laughs> moment <laughs> right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen, oh, the other what is that noise? That's the odd couple thing, people. Look it up. All right. uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, um, uh, our demand doesn't go away. Correct. It's... It's like, you know, in in fact, after six months of living together, our demand probably increases (laughs) above to where it was. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So it
0: kind of, it takes immediate, maybe pressure off because like, okay, we've just signed a six, 12 month lease, whatever. So I guess we're out of the market for the moment, but that demand does not go away. Right. It it, it is. For sure. And it is the most fundamental of demands that yep. all of us want a safe, secure, nice place to live. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not going away that demand. Mm-hmm. So it was kind sort of like, to what extent it is a solution? Mm-hmm. It's a very marginal solution at yeah. best, and yeah. about number four hundred and eighty third on the list of smart, better things that could be done True. if you really wanted to address right. the damn problem. Yeah. But yeah. So look, man. I, look, I, I, yeah. What do I think about all of that? I, I, where I come back on it is is let's say we will not we use specific people as examples but just you could have two really ethical really smart really capable mm. experienced independent you know go through the shopping list of ideal characteristics for a, for a central bank governor and give them the exact same situation and data and they could come up with two not i'm sure not, won't be miles apart but two different interpretations each month there'd be likely Mm -hmm. chance that there'd be some deviation in the, in the actual differences. So again, how do you know, how do you know what's the right move? Mm -hmm. He's sort of Mm -hmm. say, well, this is my best guess and we've all talked about it and we think this is good. And uh, you know, they ask him why, why is this happening and blah, blah, blah. And but it, it it is, it is a, I I can't get past the idea of it being highly sort of subjective, even if it's the, the subjectivity of someone who's pretty, pretty capable. I come back again to, to the, the exchange rate and, and, and letting the market sort of do its thing. I, I, I know it's not gonna happen, but I, I just I feel as though we make such a fundamental error in in, in in trying to set these things because it is it is too it is too impossible a task to set. And it becomes such a circus and a distraction and no one talks about the, the everyone talks about inflation, mm. no one talks about the fiscal mm. impacts to that, which are which are, are pretty damn significant, mm. right? Mm. Um yeah, let's let's not go there again, but I I had I had to add it because it was right there. <laughs> you did, you did. Motley full Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener
1: Mate, let's move on to a couple of corporate announcements during this week. Um West Farmers was out a couple of oh, yeah. key things from West Farmers um, yeah. and again let's that, that kind of you know Rob Scott the CEO put the uh, put the flag up and will put his head above the parapet and said hey have a go firstly he said the honeymoon is well and truly over probably no surprise ever talking about the economy he talked about the fact that again we've just talked about the fact that massive stimulus and low rates those things rates have gone to reverse and stimulus has gone away um, the the economic honeymoon is over. The harder times ahead. Now he also then said, as you'd expect, but we're fine. We're going to deal with it because we've got products and services that customers like, and we'll be fine. Now I don't think he's necessarily wrong. Bunnings and Kmart and Target are you know are that part of the market. So uh, to some extent, if you're looking for a cheaper option, they're the place you probably end up. But the honeymoon is over. Pretty dramatic. The other thing he said, mate, was if he, he called for a wage increase of no more than five percent. Now again. Let's let's be cynical, but and probably honest. You, he would say that he's an employer. Um, <laughs> he's got to deliver a profit, and if he thinks his costs are going up faster than his sales, then that hurts his margins, and his, his shareholders are unhappy. So maybe he believes it. Maybe he has feels like he has to say it because his shareholders expect it. So that that's absolutely possibly true. What I did think was fascinating, mate. And this might be just purely uh, convenient. And give me your thoughts on that, but also give me your thoughts on maybe if he's not being, let, let's assume for one second, he might be being legitimate. He kind of talked about, he said, look, if we give everyone a 5% pay increase, we limit the opportunity to give our better performance, our more productive staff, a bigger increase. Now, on one hand, companies company's got all the profit it makes to distribute however it wants, and it can double the cost, for, you know, pay for all of its staff and make less money or no money if it chose to. So clearly, you know, those things, there is no arbitrary limit between how much you can give everybody else. But I did think there was something to that idea. We talk about productivity in Australia and, and kind of the, the absence of that over the last 20 years. And frankly, the way we get economic growth is only through, real economic growth is only through productivity. You get some through population growth, but that just, you know, spreads a, a larger pie across a larger number of people and we end up the same. Genuine economic growth comes from productivity improvements. And I just thought that was an interesting idea. If only, again, let's assume you as well. We can assume anything I'm going, to, I'm going to suggest that rob scott may have been slightly um biased uh when he talked about that for, for his own personal and, and corporate reasons but i did think it was interesting in the context of raising standards of living it still is that productivity gap that's missing now whether or not you want to pay more to really productive people or really high performers or something else there is something to that i thought rather than you know thinking about why and where we find ways to reward productive output wages capital right across the board
0: yeah, oh man, this is another deep deep rabbit hole, isn't, isn't it? Yeah. Um Yeah, <laughs> I actually I'm a little bit stuck on on where to go with it. <laughs> I think and the reason I say that is because there are the if we live in 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 uh theory land, yeah, correct. um in a perfect world, yep. then there are some really good arguments to be made, but it's much messier mm-hmm. out there correct. In, in reality. Yep. Um Who's? How do you? With? I mean, how many employees does he have? Twenty thousand? I don't know, but yeah, yeah. maybe probably more. I would think, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. How How are you effectively gauging true productivity and contribution to the overall enterprise? Measuring mm-hmm. that and, equi- and fairly um, distributing all of that. I would suggest that most of it will go to upper tiers, <laughs> um, not the checkout, not the checkout uh, people. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know, mate. I don't know. I'm really struggling with this one. What? You 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 keep going. Oh, I don't mention do that. I was trying.
1: I was trying to avoid saying anything horribly controversial. I have you. You call me something. Call me names and get listeners on side. Um,
0: I mean, oh, I will say this. I'll say this yeah. right. Like yeah. again, I, I keep coming back to yeah. to markets because I'm a markets mm. guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There is there is a transaction here that, again, like everything, is at its fundamental level one of based on supply and demand. There's so many people who want to work in the warehouses at West Farmers who want to help uh, who do the checkouts at Bunnings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, And they have so many stores that they need to fill, Uh, you know, so there's a supply out there and there is a demand and things will tend to sort of reach an equilibrium over time on average, just because I I, I don't have enough people. I need to attract more people. I'll need to Mm. pay more. Mm. Actually, I can get as many people as I want. I don't really have to pay that much. I can lower my prices. Mm. So that's sort of like the pure, the pure, the purest answer. But the reality is, Mm. is that, well, it's much easier for certain people to bargain and negotiate than others. Yeah, correct. Right, and this is where you get into sort of minimum wage yep. laws and stuff, yep. and we yep. can see the differences in, in that. Yeah. Place contrasting places like the U.S. and Australia, correct. for example. Minimum wage has gone down massively in real terms over the last few decades. Mm. Massively, I can't remember the exact number, but it's it's shocking. Yeah. Um, and and you you. This is why, you can see why I sort of wrestled with it with a clear answer here. So I'll hand it back to you.
1: It's hard because at one, if, at one end of this conversation, you end up with no minimum wage, let the market decide. You talk about markets being good at those things, and they generally are, except when they're not. And mm. they're generally not when there is an imbalance of power or information or something else that means markets don't work properly. And that's yep. exactly the problem. Which, which, which
0: people by people the way, companies. very quickly, unions were, were uh, you know, in their earliest inception, a solution to exactly correct, that correct. problem. We need yep. to collect... We don't... Uh, the, the bloke on the production line, you know, stamping out widgets day after day has yep. zero bargaining power, but yep. a thousand of them have a lot of bargaining power. Correct, correct.
1: Um, but then a cartel in, in employment... Sorry, business is also illegal. So there, there are times there are, there are right. when we believe groupings of things are useful and when yep. groupings of things are unuseful or anti-competitive. Arguably, a union is anti-competitive. Cause it it stops an employer being able to negotiate individually now don't get me wrong i'm not anti-union i'm actually pro-union so before you throw things or if you are anti-union you think i'm pro-union probably so So different people will throw things put it that way um <laughs> i think unions are important they, they have shown themselves to be necessarily important and it's true that for all of the benefits we enjoy as workers today and andrew is a dirty you know employer communist Pinto, whatever you are, but uh, the rest of us, i uh, <laughs> uh, trying to, you know, just just get get one over the the man. I'm working for the man. I'm just trying to get my you know reasonable share of things. No, uh, look, I think, you know, we, unions got us eight, eight, eight hour eight hour days and six days, right. and then five day weeks and other things, sick leave, paid leave, maternity leave, all that kind of stuff. So it 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 is. Now the question is though, was that a market failure, or is the market now? Do, do we choose to say, well, the, we, don't want, we don't want the market to work because the market worked perfectly? Some would say but there is no thing as market failure because markets give you the outcome that markets give you. There mm-hmm. is no, there, It's not possible to have market failure. That's just what markets gave you. And the markets will solve it if you leave it long enough. Now, I don't, I don't subscribe to that theory. I'm going a long way. This is all for a long run, mate, to answer your question because my point is if you said, you know, at one end, just pay the most productive workers what they're worth, what the employer thinks they're worth, what they get away with. And frankly, this is the other thing. But as consumers, we don't say... I'm going to go and pay that guy double the asking price because it doesn't seem like a reasonable margin. I'm going to give him some more money because he's a small businessman who's struggling or whatever. We say I'm going to get three quotes from a trader. I'll take the cheapest one or you know yep. a combination of cheapest the do. best yep. quality. So you know, when we say employers shouldn't do that, there, there is a there's a massive double standard. Now, societally, I think it's reasonable, but it, it, we have to be honest and say the principle doesn't always carry right through unless we want it to. Right? I want to pay less. They should pay more. It's like, that doesn't, that seems pretty selfish. Um, mm. So, but I do think, what, what, I, here's, what I, here's what I struggle with, Matt. Let me, let me say up front, again, let me, for the second week in a row, annoy some people. When you say to the boss, I need a pay rise because my costs are going up, my prices are going up, your boss is entirely entitled, whether he says it or she says it or not, to say, that's a shame, but that doesn't impact the value you, you provide for me, right? Mm. Now that sounds harsh and it is harsh and I mean it to be harsh because I want to make a, a point. My boss doesn't deserve, shouldn't give me 5% just because my, this year and, and 2% two years ago, just because inflation's higher this year. There's no obligation other than on a minimum wage basis for an employer to make up the, my, my higher cost of living. That's not how employment works, right? There is the, the, the minimum wage, absolutely. That's what the whole, um, the original Harvester case was, the famous Harvester law case that set the minimum wage was at the time, you know, a man with, a, I think it was a wife and two kids or something. It was like, you know, how much would it cost to maintain that family? That was the entire base of the entire minimum wage system. But I'm talking about someone not on minimum wage. I go to the boss, and say, "Boss, I want more money because my costs are going up." He's like, "Well, that's fine. But whatever what value have you created for me this year, well, nothing. But I want more money." So, well, hang on. Why should I subsidise inflation for you if I'm going to lose as a result? There is no direct line for that. There is no, in my view, um, moral responsibility for an employer to do that just because my costs are going up. He's not, you know, <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't employ in a cost bar plus world employees in a you're here to do a job you're here to create some value if you don't create more value why should i pay you more i think that's a very worthwhile conversation i go yeah. even further i go, go even
0: further it's just like i just any cost right I take the human element out of it i want yes. to minimize yes. my input costs as you should and 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 the other side of the equation is well i want to maximize yes. the price i can charge for an hour of my time you know that's yes. a that and again that's that's that's, that's the, the, trade. the yeah that's yeah. the trade now this is, but so they're off a long run
1: where it gets challenging is and this is I, i'm not a neoliberal guy and i don't believe in the absolute line of this one but the theory conceptually and directionally is true which is the more expensive i am the more likely my boss is to replace me with a machine or send my job overseas just by definition i work for a company i won't name them because i was well, a million years ago now but um they had a they had a factory producing food a particular food product the workers would go on strike once a year almost like clockwork in advance of the biggest part of the, the year was like was a seasonal product. They would go on strike to get more wages because the company knew and the workers knew yeah. if they went on strike for too long, you couldn't stockpile enough product to get you through that particular season of high demand. And so they called the they called the company's bluff over and over and over again, and eventually the company said, "Actually, you know what? We've now got to a point where this factory is no longer a profitable enterprise. We're going to offshore this entire production to another country." And they did. Mm. and so that's and I've always remembered that mate because it's a real and we, there were some very highly paid workers in that factory and I'm not going to get into whether they deserved the money or whether the corporate you know company was bastards I don't want to hit I don't care it's not, not important for now right put your, put your politics aside not you our listeners um, <laughs> it, was, it was simply a reality of they, they got a lot of extra money for, the union did a really good job for their workers for years and they pushed it too far and the company said yeah you're right we're done and all those workers lost their jobs overnight in an economy which, mm. frankly, at the time, wasn't spectacular. I don't know what happened to the individual workers. I feel horribly sorry for them because they probably get used to the higher standard of living or the higher wage, and then all of a sudden found themselves out of work, and there weren't that many alternative manufacturing jobs in that place, in that category at that time. So it was, you know... things and good, Plus, everyone's good, things looking good.
0: for the same job, right? Right? So, and things are all of a sudden yeah. a
1: terrible. Same, with, same mm. with car manufacturing, although that was always subsidised. But you get the idea. So, so I guess my, my point is, I think people should be paid well. I think people should be paid what they're worth. I think... We have, frankly, too much of the national share of incomes going to capital, i.e. owners, rather than workers. I think that's... And it's been increasing a share of ca- income has gone to capital over the last 40 years. We have some really significant challenges in our country. The biggest problem is, in a globalised world, and we'll talk about the deglobalization globalization in a second, but in a globalised world, my biggest concern is what happens to those workers when they price themselves out of an employer's decision? Because no one's going to make an employer employ people rather than machines, right? No government's going to do that. No no employer is going no government's going to stop people, sacking people and taking the jobs overseas. They might, they might talk about it, they're not going to do it. And so at some point, it just, there was a real conversation about how much can we afford to pay these people to do this job before the job becomes untenable for the employer to provide. Now, again, mm. I'm not saying therefore, no one should be paid more or therefore we should have, not have a minimum wage or therefore no one should get a pay rise or I don't believe Australians are overpaid. So I don't want to, I don't, don't, for a second think I am jumping in the you know deeply neoliberal um, you know whatever whatever No, this what, is just
0: you just what all you're saying is <laughs> is that if if you negotiate too hard it could backfire on you badly yes. and there can yes, be correct. unintended under, unintended consequences right, right. I, I get all of that and this the, the thing that's I guess frustrating about a lot of it is that it is so adversarial mm. you know between capital oh, and, exactly, and labour exactly yeah and and i've i said it i always say it like we're really at the top levels of a of a corporation your jobs are you get two jobs capital allocation and culture and and we talk a lot about the capex side mm-hmm. of things but this is where the culture is so 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 important and mm-hmm. to really have i mean you when you look at the really great companies they're mm-hmm. like families you know and and reasonable people can get together with different incentive structures. I want, mm-hmm. I want to be mm-hmm. paid more. You want to pay me less. But th- the truth of the matter is, one team, one dream. Teamwork right. makes right, the exactly. dream work, <laughs> right? And I'm, I know, I'm you're sounding a consultant I, this.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's going yeah. to
0: sound a bit airy fairy, but but I no, would right. like to think you're if right. I was in charge, it would be like, guys, <clears throat> here's the yeah. deal. Yep, we're getting killed out there at the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Things continue. We're out of business. Yep. You lose your job. I lose my job. We're all gone. Yeah. Um, uh, so we have to make some hard decisions and 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 you you work in a in, through a period of of good faith and i think i think when when the communication lines are open and the discussion is honest yes i think you will still have that natural tension yes but it's not you're not going to push the other side to extremes where they are, again, this adversarial kind of thing, well, we're gonna strike right before the busiest time of the year, and we're gonna do this and mm-hmm. we're gonna go for 20% pay rise and just, it yeah. leads yeah. to really, really, really yeah. bad, bad outcomes. Yeah. And I suspect really well-run businesses, it's far less of a problem for them. Yeah because they do have such a great relationship. It is just a matter of, and and I don't think any worker out there really, unless you're the hardest of hardcore of communists (laughs) is going to begrudge your employer making a profit, right? Now, if the boss is making a 30% margin Mm -hmm. and leaving you scraps and they're being paid obscene amounts of money, that's not going, that's a part of setting the culture. And This is why I always love the Ben and Jerry guys, the US company that makes ice cream. They've got this law not law this rule, rule yeah. corporate rule where that the no one in the, com- the the highest rate of pay in the company i think has to be 20 times the lowest yeah right uh, which is still a big difference i guess it's right? extraordinary but
1: yeah exactly but
0: but but, but yeah. nothing compared yeah. to what the ratio is like uh, elsewhere so yeah. if you're the the janitor as they would say mm-hmm. in, in america mm-hmm. whatever that that assuming that's the lowest paid worker within that company the ceo can get 20 times what what, what they get yeah. now share the spoils and more of the spoils go to the top. But when you, that, all of that kind of stuff leads to very loyal mm, mm. workers. By the way, loyal, happy workers work harder. You, we yeah. all talk about productivity. It's not about like putting electrodes on people's nipples and you know, zapping them when they, they nod off or something. It's like oh, or, or something else. Or something else. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I do, when, I when, when I've worked at big organizations as well, and yeah, when the yeah. culture is down, I show up, I'm there, I'm clocking in at nine and leaving at five, but I'm doing the bare minimum. You know what my, Mm. I love that one of my favorite all-time movies is Office Space, just a genius (laughs) movie. So good. But basically my job, he says in that, my job Mm. is to do the bare minimum not to get fired. Mm. right because where that's my incentive I'm not I'm not being fairly adequately recognised and yeah. rewarded for any sort of upside you know I, I don't want to lose my job but I'm certainly not going to do any better imagine contrast that with a situation where mm. there is a really wonderful culture yeah. um, and this is where the, I think some of the tech companies got it right particularly early on it's like hey we'll give you food um, we'll, we'll, yes. we'll pay for <laughs> your rides home yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll let you have a siesta in the afternoon oh by the way you get you get every Thursday afternoon you can work on any project that you like it was just mm-hmm. like on one hand you think, well, how is that helping the company's bottom line? It's helping the company's bottom line massively. And and again, this is an airy fairy potential solution, mm-hmm. but I actually think it's got a lot of legitimacy. And 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 this is why yep. when you see real blow-ups and confrontations, whether it's Qantas and the unions yeah. and there, it just it it is it is a sign of a poor culture. And it is also a sign that there will be mm. it's more likely to see things that that are not good for anyone, least of all shareholders, in the long run.
1: Yeah, and and I've got to say, you know, I, I'm not sure what the answer is, mate, to the growing share of income going to capital rather than labour because it's one thing to say, well, sh- you should pay people more, and that's a very reasonable and fine and okay thing to say, and I don't have any problem with it, except that if and when it causes jobs to be lost and, and jobs go overseas, then again, like my example, it becomes... Self-defeating. And I, and I don't honestly know. You can say, well, a company should just pay people more and should just take less profit as a result. But short of, again, a command economy or some sort of you know, government rule about profitability, I don't think we do ourselves any favor by asking companies to be uh, deliberately less profitable uh, arbitrarily outside market forces or government regulation for their own sake. Um, It's a really difficult one. I I really, really don't know how you square the circle because I I, I have a real problem with the share of capital continuing to grow conceptually, ideologically. I think it it does bad things for a society. Um, It it creates longer term inequality and and more significant inequality. Those things are all true. I'm genuinely not sure (laughs) how to resolve that in a globalized world where a company can either offshore and or replace jobs with robots and or you know, or go online or whatever else they do to, to lower costs. It is, it is a feature, not a bug of capitalism that you want people incentivized to do those things. Uh, let's not start the conversation now because we're well and truly deep into the podcast, but it may end up being something like a universal basic income or more company tax or something that you know changes the distribution of wealth or distribution of income in a forced way. And again, plenty of people yelling at the, the podcast machines right now. I'm not saying it necessarily is this, but if you think about how that might work, I, I don't know whether we can reasonably say you've got to employ three times as many people in the coal mine and pay them $84 an hour. And, and just because I say you have to, if a machine can do it instead, um, at some point it just becomes untenable. So I, I don't know the answer, mate. I, I do... Oh, no,
0: one, no one knows the answer. Right, this, is right. the, this is going to be one of the biggest, I think for our children's generation... Uh, we've got reasonably youngish children I, I, I think that's going to be the challenge uh, for them it, yes. It, it, yes. it's often been sort of mistakenly called you know like when the industrial revolution happened mm-hmm. I was not you know, even Keynes was saying oh well, we only need to work three days a week yeah, and, that's right. and all the rest of it <laughs> yeah, it's something yeah. qualitatively different the, the, this time around yes. when like these it, machines it? that we have are now thinking yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know um, not in a yeah. sentient way necessarily yet but still, still cognitively capable at Mm, least mm. to the degree of many humans but this is this is a big this is a huge challenge because again if i'm running west farmers let's go with the original example here Mm. and i can replace half of my workforce who will never strike who will their cost is a bit of upfront capex and then electricity Mm. and will work 24 hours a day you know, he's like it, it's sort of like you're gonna, and if you don't do it, someone will, right? And then you'll be competing and against that's the exactly, person who exactly. You, you, it is, yes. it is coming, it yes. is coming, and and I, I don't, yeah. You're opened up we tackle the big issues here on the motley Don't we? podcast Don't we? because we started by talking about inflation you get, <laughs> and here you we are get to you get to philosophical points yeah. and and if you're not careful you get to ideological points yeah. but kind of it's i to my way of thinking it's unavoidable these you have to Correct. wrestle and make peace with certain philosophical ideas yes. before you can even have an intelligent conversation about it what's the issue here if we don't even agree or have a common understanding of what the issue is yeah, yeah. <laughs> and why it might want to be changed, every, every other point beyond that is, is moot. Um, and by the way, that's why we don't have any decent policy
1: conversations in public because no one wants to, you know, there's a great Toyota uh, idea called the five whys. By the time you've asked why five times in a row, you've got to the root cause. Yeah. You know, why do that. we paint the wall white? Well, because we like the colour. Why? Well because the why or you know, whatever it is. Like you, you,
0: you That's why five year olds are magic, right? Yeah. They'll exactly. do that. All day long.
1: <laughs> and but it's but it's it's That's why it's why our conversation nationally is so weak and, and, and ridiculous and partisan, because we're not having that. as you say, mate, you can't solve inflation without asking what do we want. And yep. discussing the what we want and then making that part of the solution. Yeah. Inflation bad, prices good, rates bad, housing good, you know, rent bad, tenants good, like whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. You know, that 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 ridiculous kind of we can't change. Of course, we can't change it because well, can't we? Well, we no, because we don't. Why not? Oh, well, because yes. well, let's yes. just let, let, let's just raise more money for first home buyers, and that'll solve the problem. You know, that, that's that, f- that's that's how we get to those sort of solutions because we're not prepared to. And frankly, you know, the other thing, by the way, we used to have policies where there were winners and losers. Now there are only winners and winners, and, and <laughs> nothing gets done unless unless you can prove that no one's going to either no one's going to lose or the loser's not going to vote for you anyway. Uh, yeah. Which is which is where you get the stupid policies.
0: Oh, it's it's so frustrating. I, I wish more journalists would ask the why, the five whys, yeah. because it's it's too often the case of like um, interest rates are going up. Why? Inflation. Oh, okay. And like, whoa, whoa, there's there's a lot of other whys you can yeah, ask right, before right. you go. Yeah, yeah. You go. Okay, and, and off I go. It's yeah. it's yeah, it's super frustrating. Worse
1: when you got a pre when you got a predetermined answer, and so when any question ends up there. Why, why yes. is inflation higher? Because of those nasty communist Labour Party. Why is inflation so high? Because of those nasty neoliberal, you know, LNP members. Why, yeah. you know, why? So what, okay, yeah. th- thanks. You've been really, really super unhelpful and
0: you should have just shut up and not bothered. Mate, let's, uh, let's
1: finish off quickly can, with... Well, before John. you do, I oh, can't okay. resist.
0: Cause I, I just, I just um, looked Shots into fire. this the other day because yeah, well, I'm going to come a bit full circle here. You started off nice. by talking about Wes farmers. Yes and Wes farmers uh, one of our members on strawman posted the other day some highlights they had a they had a strategy update so a okay. bunch of bunch of a big big slide <laughs> deck uh, you know of all their what they're planning to do and etc cetera, etc cetera. one of the mm. decks one of the slides um, talked about the shareholder return for Wes farmers oh. over the, over the long term oh, good right Go on. i've seen this guy. so So the uh, gosh, I can't find it now, but it's the over the last five years, it was 17% per annum compound Mm -hmm. with dividends reinvested Mm -hmm. 17% per annum for a company that's what 50 $60 billion in in market cap. If you go back 10 years, it's I think it's about 10 11% per Mm -hmm. annum. And you go back since the dawn of time and you, they contrast it with the total return index, so the, yep. the all ordinary, which again, also apples with apples, it's comparing dividends reinvested as well. And there's this sort of flat line along the bottom and then there's this mountain, which is, which is where farmers, you go, gosh, that's, it's so hard not to be impressed by that. Um, and they've just got some spectacular businesses in in all of it. Mm. The thing that was interesting to me and the, the challenge I sort of put out to members was well, let's just take the last five years, 17% per annum compound. Wow, the business must have done really well. Mm-hmm. Actually, dig into the, the profit on a per share basis or the dividends on a per share basis. They both grew circa 2.5% annually over that time. So wait a sec. So shares are going up on average 17% per year when the dividends and the earnings are going up, well, less than inflation, 2.5% per year. Mm. now how do you riddle me this how do you square that circle well as <laughs> as, as, as as regular listeners to this podcast will know mm. um it depends on what the market is prepared to pay for those earnings in 2017 wes farmers was trading on a price to earnings multiple of 16 yeah today it's on a multiple of 26 right so it's gone up more than 50 percent. so yeah. that's what's done the heavy lifting here right now don't knock it back you'll take it right like fantastic mm-hmm. look mm-hmm. thank you Mr Market investors are super 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 happy there yeah. but but the the point that I sort of made is that that is that is a you can't pull that rabbit out of the hat repeatedly Correct. so we can't go from 16 to 26 and then from a p of 26 to <laughs> That's right. 40.
1: 35 and then 80 and then exactly.
0: Yeah. It, it can't keep going up by more than 50% yep. every yep. every 5 years. When I say it can not can, people can do crazy things, mm. but for a company that is growing, you know, around 3% per annum, mm. that just seems not a, just staying at 26 seems like a bit of a stretch, mm. let alone going to a P of 40. Now again, you can't predict pr- multiples any more than you can predict share prices. But but I find, it, I find it, we talked about this in regards to Woolies recently as well, which is also up in the, in the high 20s for a mm. PE. The, 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 the um, correct response to that will be, well, yeah, Andrew, but markets value it on future earnings, not on the past. And whatever they did in the last five years could be very different from the next five years. Yeah, that's that's right. a very good point. Um, so I looked up the analyst forecast, and they're, they're, they're guiding for 6% per annum. So it's still a high PE, over the next three years, by the way, I should say on average. So it's still yep. a pretty high, 26 is a pretty yep. high P in a raising interest rate environment. Yeah. Now, so I did a bit of an exercise here because again, uh, this is the value of, of, of modeling, I think, not to get a specific answer, but to help you sort of think about things. So let's be generous and let's say, you know what, all the analysts are wrong. West Farmers is going to grow at double digit rates. It's going to grow its earnings per share at Double the consensus guidance each and every year for the next three years. Right. So let's take their last year's EPS and let's grow up by twelve percent per year, double what the what the market expects. But let's pull the price earnings ratio back to twenty six to eighteen, not because we we're forecasting eighteen, because we just want to see what happens if if that were to happen, and the average capital gain per year drops to less than two percent. So you hear you've had a business that's growing like the clappers. Again, this is a $60 billion odd business yeah, that's right. and you're getting your, but your share price is essentially more or less flat over that entire period. Uh, if, if the PE got to 16 back to where it was in 2017. And again, now that's the market average. That is what you would expect a mature s- low to mid single digit uh, uh, growth company to be, to be trading at. You actually make a capital loss. So, so I just wanted to point that out there again. And, and I guess no, the I the, the way I, the way I so I've got to be clear here because none of this is advice, but it is, the, the point is, is that do or don't do whatever you want to do with those <laughs> farmers. But you, you, you are pretty reliant on the multiple either staying high or not contracting too much yep. to do- Or profit growth re- suddenly coming from somewhere on a consistent basis. Yes yeah magically, like yeah. like really significantly higher um, f- for you to do well. so mm-hmm. so what is the market thinking? And as I said with woollies my my working theory mm-hmm. is that this is about preservation of capital. The markets there's dark clouds on the horizon. maybe they're real, maybe they're perceived. Um, but you know open the open the financial review there's there's lots of scary things that people are worried about rightly or wrongly. And I think a lot of and, and what you have with West Farmers, Woolies, companies like that is you have like just rock solid businesses. Like they might go through tough times, earnings might fall, dividends might be cut. They're not going anywhere, though. They're <laughs> gonna be they're gonna be around. And look, I can't guarantee anything. If you want to guarantee, buy a toaster, as they say. But but it's it's a pretty on a risk-adjusted basis. It's not bad. If, if all I can do is more or less preserve my capital, maybe get a little bit in, in dividends and franking credits, mm. I'll take it and I'll take it. Cause I just, I, I've, I've got all this money that I have to allocate to the equity market. So this is, a big, this is the big money. The big end of town is sort of driving a lot of these things. I've got all this money to allocate. I could put it into something that's a little bit spicy and maybe get a better return, or I can just accept that I'm not gonna get a great return here, but, but my wealth is, is, is going to be pres- preserved over the cycle. What, what do you think? G- so give me I, I, give me another explanation
1: well I, I i want to make two well i'm not going to sure explain i'm going to make two separate points about about uh, just just for the sake of fleshing out the conversation actually um in terms of you know on one hand on the other hand as we like to do it depends yeah <laughs> um the first thing i would say mate for what it's worth is i wanted to and I, you won't disagree with this i wanted to give you a different not, i want to give you a different lens on the same set of numbers. Yep. So I've actually found the numbers. Uh, one of our analysts, Trevor Machesi, shared this with me uh, during the week or last week. The, that exact same chart you were talking about. So I knew I'd seen it before and I've just found right. it. Right. Over the last five years, West Farmers' annual return is 16.8% per annum compared to the market at 84 So okay. it literally exactly Over double. Over the past 10 years, West Farmers plus 10.8, the market oh, 8.1. Yeah. Since listing, and it looks like they've gone back to 984. I thought it was an older business. Maybe it's only listed it since then. 984, so 40 years. Uh, West Farmers nineteen point one percent per annum, index
0: ten and a half. So I gosh, that's incredible. Think, a think about think about taking ten thousand dollars in nineteen eighty four, which was worth a lot more than ten thousand uh, dollars today. Let me you, yeah. So maybe that's not a fair number to use. But oh, it is. It is. Yeah. Grow that by twenty percent year, uh-huh. See where you come out. Like yeah, did magic. So, so, so the conversation. So yep. the i com- i I might. I might be stealing your your punchline here, <laughs> but the the response from some members on strawman was really great. It was like, oh yeah, it's it's overvalued, but I'm going to continue holding it. And and the rationale was is there's we we've touched on this again. I think in one of the upcoming pre records was <laughs> that you've got to know what th- th- there are different reasons for holding different kinds of stocks. Yeah. And there are some where you might be a little bit more active. You're not trading per se, but this is, this is an okay company, but it's just really cheap. And I mm-hmm. think it's undervalued and I'm gonna buy it. Yeah. And then there are the other ones where it's like, no, this is, I'm just chucking this in the bottom drawer. Yeah, maybe a little bit overvalued, but I don't, I, I don't really care. What I do care about is that it is very high quality and there'll be a reasonably consistent dividend streams. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm gonna hold that over 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, it's just gonna go through periods of overvaluation and undervaluation and over and and you know what you don't do you don't bloody interrupt it right <laughs> yeah. and and that's the story you're i I think you're getting to here is this sort of like that's true andrew but mm-hmm. someone who bought in 1984 is compounded at 20% per annum and i think that's i think you can be right on both angles where mm-hmm. i think you can mm-hmm. say reasonably objectively geez that's pretty that's that's pretty expensive for that kind of stock yep. but you can also say yeah but if i've held it in my super account for the last 6 years and i intend to hold it for another 10 I'm not going to overthink that. I am not going to overthink it. What the, the 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 difference would be for my for my money, would be it's all about quality. It's all mm-hmm. and and the, the general rule for me, we always say valuation matters. Valuation matters. You know, it's not just what you're buying, but it's you, you want you want a sensible price for it. I think there's a slider with quality from poor to to very high, mm-hmm. and the higher you go to to high quality the less emphasis you put on valuation. You don't ignore valuation. So I wouldn't be adding fresh capital to West Farmers today, me personally. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, you, you're less sensitive about it. If you're going right to the other end and I'm going to be buying AMP shares or something like that, just is my favorite whipping <laughs> boy. Um, A, AGL, uh, you know, origin yeah. energy, let, let, you know, Lendlease. Let me think of all these other blue chip disasters. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, valuation is heck hella important as the kids would say right It's massively massively used rem- on Motley Fool Money there you go but you do you, know, do you know what I mean so that, yeah. that that's how I'd sort of hold those two opposing thoughts in my mind at once
1: Andrew the only time I've heard and used the word hella is in Taylor Swift's song to the boy over there with the hella good hair yeah, yeah, I'm bringing, you come up with. The girl bringing like? it I'm back her. in any Bring way bringing it back shake <laughs> it off hey um, uh, <laughs> I, I, look so I want to so the, I want to make a couple of th- one was the quality point absolutely the other point was, if you look at that chart, the long-term returns of West Farmers of 19% per annum, and you halve the current PE, the returns mm. would still be extraordinary yes. and extraordinarily better than investing in the index. Mm. Now, hindsight's always twenty-twenty. If I go back to 1984, I know exactly what i do, but we can't do that yeah. now. And I'm not suggesting that- Although, it, although just
0: quickly, the last five years would be rubbish. Yes, correct.
1: Correct. Yes. Yep. And so, but it's, but it's worth thinking about the results of a business- in that context of, you know, if the PE had halved now, and this is the other thing, even though the returns are double per annum, if you halve the PE, the returns go from 19 back to 10 because no. you know, the way it's compounding compound over time, right? Exactly. Yeah. So so if, if the PE was to fall, and I guess that, so my point is about the quality thing, is you could have done, you would, you would have done extraordinarily well between 94 and now if the PE had never increased. And I guess that that was just my first, the first point i wanted to make second Mm. one was what i love about west farmers as a business and i love this about Pats, which i own as everyone knows these are conglomerates so it's much harder for woolies to grow conceptually as fast as it is for west farmers to grow both conceptually now it's also Mm -hmm. easier for west farmers to do worse than woolies because everything at west farmers is for sale and everything on the market is available for west farmers to buy at any point in time so if you're woolies what do you do you sell more groceries you might try hardware. We've talked about that. Didn't work. You might try Big W. Did that. Not a great business, but they gave it a go. Uh, you might, you, you might, you might even try and branch to some other retail at some point. Uh, the everyday market thing they're doing, trying to use their website to get more sales. You find ways. But you're a retailer. It's what you do. And when you're already a thousand stores strong, what else do you do? Coals, similarly. What else do you do? You coals. If mm. you're West Farmers, yeah, Bunnings is a massive part of their business, throwing throw off a truckload of cash. What do you do? You're an investment conglomerate. You don't have to put my money in a bunnies. You don't have to open more hardware stores. You can go, They've invested in lithium mines, God help them, and <laughs> insurance <laughs> and uh, off, uh, Officeworks and Kmart and Target. Tomorrow they could, for all I know, buy the Motley Fool or Strawman or a tree plantation or a coal mine or a AI technology company, all, all, all three or four of those because they're an investment. All they do is they, they distribute and allocate cash. That's what they do. And so I, I, that's, that's both good and bad. If they have the right investment culture, the right company culture, that will help them potentially, if they're clever about what they're investing in, look around and buy good businesses over time and do really, really, really well. In other words, they can potentially do better than the underlying businesses they own, let alone businesses like Woolies and Coles. So when we compare West Farmers and Woolies and say, two retailers, here's the growth. Now, I'm not saying they will, mate, by the way, and you're right about the forecast. I just want to make the point about... I really genuinely love good conglomerates. In the past, they were terrible. I think I've said before, Heinz owns Stanley Wines at one point because I thought they should. Just a stupid idea. Um, you know, conglomerates build because people empire build. But if you're a genuine, you know, strong, strong cultured investment conglomerate where you're only thing, investment company, where your, your job is deploy the capital, take the cashier. Berkshire Hathaway is the prime example. I own shares in that as well, um, is the prime example. So when I look at West Farmers, I develop like a bank. You know, what will West Farmers look like in 10 years? I have absolutely no idea. For all I know, that could spin off Bunnings next year. If they can find mm. a really good buyer or get a great price on the market for a market that loves the hell out of Bunnings, they should list it on the market, get rid of it, take the cash and do it something else with it. Yeah. It may, or maybe in ten years' time they still own Bunnings and Bunnings is four times the size and ten times as profitable. Mm. Uh, I'm just making the point there is a, there is an unknowable future, and these companies must be jockey plays almost by definition. If you if you buy West Farmers because you like the businesses they own, just put an asterisk against that position because there's no guarantee to the loan though. If you own, if you like Woolies because you love their supermarkets. You can be pretty sure in 40 years' time they'll still be in the supermarket business, right? In whatever AI world we live in at that point, they'll be selling groceries. Uh, West Farmers, I don't know what they're doing. They're, even if they still own Bunnings, there's every chance they've used the cash flow from that to buy other things. Warren Buffett talks about Sees Candies he bought in 1972 or something. Mm. That business is t- he used to he used to call out those results separately as its own line item in the early annual reports because Sees was a really big chunk of change. They took the mm. money from Sees, they didn't, they didn't use it to grow Sees because they could only grow to a certain size. And they bought shares in Apple and they bought shares in IBM and they bought share, you know, bought whole businesses. And now it doesn't even get to mention in the annual report because the rest of the business is massive. So maybe mm. that's what West Farmers does with the Bunnings cash. All, all I'm saying is so be mindful of what the future might look like. Gosh, my last that's point, a great point. Can, point I, can, I, can I move on yeah. that just very points. quickly?
0: Yep, um, the the other, again, this is coming up in a future episode, so keep an eye out for this one. <laughs> we talk about some some various metrics. We really one of lot them lot we talk point. about is yeah. is return on equity. Yeah. So the profit they make relative to the net assets mm-hmm, of the business. Mm-hmm. So over that last five years, it's gone from a respectable, you know, sort of low double-digit, twelve percent return on equity. Mm-hmm. They're now getting a thirty percent return on equity. Yeah, yeah, right. And and that's been growing pretty consistently. So mm-hmm. um, the one of the arguments would be, and I want to give a shout out to Rick, one of our straw man members who made this exact point. In fact, I'm reading his post here, but he's basically <laughs> saying, well, basically. They're paying out eighty percent of their profit because yep. there's only so much they can invest, because but they're they keeping twenty yep. yep. percent, and on that twenty percent, they're getting a thirty-two point six percent return at least on the on a trailing basis. Yeah. So, so there, right there, you're getting like like a six and a half, seven percent growth in in earnings per share on that basis. That alone, yeah. Cerebus Paribus, everything everything else being <laughs> being equal, yep. and 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 your point is such a good one because they. This is how a fifty billion dollar business can continue to compound at very high rates of growth. Mm. In in theory, that's what Berkshire's done. As, 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 yes. as, as to your as to your exact point, at the same time, it is they could blow it all up and say we're going to buy AMP and, yeah, and, right. and realize exactly. that it can't be turned around. Yeah. And in fact, the Coles
1: uh, purchase they did a, what was a decade,
0: fifteen years ago, actually wasn't a spectacular buy. They got yeah. okay, but it wasn't yeah, great. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. yeah. But they yeah, didn't cover themselves in glory. And no. that, yeah, So, but it, it's such an excellent, it's such an excellent point you make. And it is such an excellent thing to look out for. And, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll talk about it in more details. You'll, you'll see it <laughs> on your feed. But, <laughs> you know, when, when you're looking at various things for a company, return equity is a good one to look at, right? Yeah. Like that, yeah. that is going to tell you the, 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 at least the potential capacity for growth mm-hmm. relative to what they've been able to do in the past. Mate, the
1: last point I wanted to make very quickly, and we'll wrap this up, was you talked very reasonably about uh, West Fulmer's PE. I just want to make the point, just for fun more than anything, that in January 1997, their PE was also 21 and a half times, which is what Capital IQ tells me it is now. Right. And I say that... And now... A smaller business with with a brighter growth future. In other words, in 1997, you should have assumed West Farmers could grow meaningfully over the next 20 something years, or at least you could have assumed that. You would have paid a higher PE. As businesses get bigger, you have to assume their growth is going to be smaller because of the law of large numbers. Yep. So I and I and I, I don't make that point for any other reason. I'm not. You're absolutely not wrong. I'm just making that point to say that that is possible. I, I hate I hate desperately hate. Look at business like CSL and going, the market's always paid 40 times earnings for it. Maybe it always will. We've talked about this before. Maybe the tough reason mm-hmm. to buy the stock. I can't do it. I won't do it. Um, but if you look at if you look at West Farm and say, well, over the time, uh, A, people have paid that multiple. Now, when it was 22 times earnings in 1997, the share price was $9. Now mm-hmm. it's 21.5 times earnings and the share price is $47, according to what I've got just here. Um because earnings have grown over that time. So, you know, the PE hasn't moved. I meant it's moved a lot around up and down in the meantime. And I'm not even saying it should or shouldn't. I'm not saying it'll go up or down. I'm not saying you should pay 26 times earnings because people always have. It was just, again, just one of those things where the... I think you're absolutely right to say I'm not prepared to bet on a certain outcome, that a PE will be maintained necessarily. Mm. Um, but what, it also well, might be the case if the growth can be... For example, the, the variant perception might be I think the analysts are wrong. I think West Farmers growth is higher than that, and in that, if that's true, you can justify paying this price for West Farmers. You just have yep. to be mindful that there are there's two very. The market is a little bit bipolar right now. It's on one hand it's saying this is worth 26 times earnings or whatever the number was, and at the other hand it's saying it's growing at three percent. You can't square that circle. There is no mm. world in which long-term low single-digit earnings growth justifies a P/E of 26. So either mm. the market will remain mad, which is possible. Or the P will come down, which is possible. Or profit will grow, which is possible. Or some combination of those three, because that's the only
0: way this thing moves forward. Yeah, and, and you rightly highlight the the significance of time frame. So in like a short periods of time, medium periods of time, medium term periods mm-hmm. of time. Yeah, multiples almost everything because it kind yes. of doesn't matter yes. what the business does because yes. you know the business could double its profit and the, and the <gasps> PE you know drops by seventy five percent. It's it's mm-hmm. they're they're, they're it can really – this is why looking at share prices, to, to my mind, can be – can can throw you off, right? Yes, because you, yeah. you're, you're, not, you're not looking at what the actual business is doing as a real disconnect. But, you know, I guess the traders would say, yeah, that's exactly the point because the fundamentals are far <laughs> yeah, less important right. over short periods of time. It's that's all right. about sentiment. That's all I'm trying to do. But when you have very long periods of time, you get to a point where it's like the PE changes become very, very, very small because mm-hmm. – earnings in theory can go up forever uh, you know practically to a, to a yeah. very much higher degree than, than, than where they are now but PEs can't so they might sort of stay high they might be relatively high at one point 20 years later they might be relatively low if something's grown at 8% just to pick a random number out of thin air uh, mm-hmm. over that period of time mm-hmm. one is going to be far more dominant in influencing the share price the share price just being a, a multiplication of the earnings per share and the PE just to Correct. rearrange the formula so so um, uh, that's another sort of wrinkle, and, and just and back to that in, in, initial sort of response from people. It's like yes, but it's a high quality long termer, and that that just yeah. has to. That's the framing. There's no. Don't take away from this. The guys think you shouldn't buy it because it's overpriced, right. or they think you should because it's high quality. No, it depends. <laughs> yeah. What do you want? You know, do you do you want long term capital preservation? Maybe things are a little bit ordinary for a few years, but over the very long time it could be good if you think that they can continue to find good reinvestment opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. 100%. I mean, these are the questions that you have gotta ask, but this hopefully frames it up a bit for you. So you you're making the right considerations that are appropriate to to the to the um, to the type of investment that you're looking for. Mm, mm. Yep, I think
1: that's a, a really good point and a wonderful way to finish, mate. This has been a really great conversation. Thank you for participating in it with me. Although well, yeah. we didn't
0: get to our, our uh, deglobalization talking yeah, point. Let's, let's do look, it next week. You know week. what?
1: The beautiful thing about this podcast, mate, is we're going to talk for another hour next week. So, you know, we... hour. There's always, there's always more... T- okay, a bit more. Two hours, <laughs> two hours. There's always, there's hours. always more. T- By the way, shout out to whoever it was. I can't remember who, uh, the, the Twitter handle who... Uh, Mentioned a little, a little bit snarkily, but tongue firmly in cheek on Twitter this week that uh, he said, I see your on and Andrew's podcast is, uh, is um, blown out to 90 minutes recently. <laughs> yes, mate, maybe, maybe it has. Maybe it has. Yeah, uh-huh. I said 30
0: minutes on a rant-adjusted basis. Yeah, though, so gotta, <laughs> that was great, at that actually.
1: <laughs> that was, I love that. That's, that's my new favourite uh, earnings metric, a rant-adjusted basis. Uh, that notwithstanding, mate, will you come back on Sunday to do a mobag with yeah. me? Yeah, uh, you know I will. Absolutely. Until then, full on.
0: Cheers.